five of CBRE's global enterprise accounts, uh, helping them leverage technology and data to make informed decisions. And as a firm, um, so us as our own end user, we actually have invested a lot over the last six months to evolve the design of our new Dallas headquarters. Um, in considering how we want to involve um, the virtual world, so the metaverse, in addition to our physical footprint. And I know that we're just one example of the many, many firms who've been on a similar journey of late. And so I'm really excited today to explore the topic in greater depth um, and explore it with this really esteemed panel uh, of experts. Before we get started, I'm going to hand things over to Larry Charlip, who's going to give a quick uh, PSA for um, the ERS event that's happening in our region in a couple of weeks. And then we're going to do some quick introductions to the format today before we dive into the panel. So, Larry. Hi, and welcome. And I, I know everybody's excited about this topic, um, and I'm excited to learn about it as well. Um, but I just qu quickly wanted to remind everybody that Cornet ERS, which is a symposium of five Eastern regional um, chapters is happening this June, um, June 14, uh, 13th and 14th at Drexel University. Um, registration is currently open for end users and will open this Friday for service providers. So if you're an end user and you wanna register, now's your chance because it does fill up very quickly once it's open to service providers, They're, they do limit the, uh, the attendance to, I think, a, I think it's 400 so that it keeps the, um, the, the focus for the, for the folks um, who are attending uh, to, that, to that tight group and makes it worthwhile. So again, it's happening June 13th and 14th at Drexel University. The hotels um, that, are, uh, that have room blocks for the event are starting to fill up as well. So if you are looking to attend, and you're an end user, now's the time to, to register before it opens to service providers. So um, we hope to see you there. Um, I'm registered, a bunch of us at the New York City are, are as well. And uh, we're really excited about the program ERS has this year. So I'm gonna turn it back over to Laura to get on with the, our uh, understanding the metaverse event. Awesome. And uh, Tommy actually dropped the registration link right in the chat. And something Larry didn't mention is we are obviously super competitive as a chapter. We like to win all things. Um, so we, we do want to have the best attendance. And so if you're considering going, you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me, uh, Tommy, Larry, any other members of the New York City board. We'd be happy to talk about why it's worth the trip. Um, Philly is obviously only an hour away for most of us in the area. Um, but I know it's sometimes hard to find time away from work. So we're happy to talk about the value of ERS. So talking about the metaverse, switching gears a little bit. Uh, at the top of the year, it became really obvious to us that the commercial real estate community was hungry for additional insights into the metaverse, given very little was being written or talked about relative to the seismic impact that this evolution is likely to have on our particular part of the industry. And a lot of the focus was being uh, put on the impacts on retail and hospitality as well as residential, but not really talking about how this was going to um, disrupt office in particular. So in response, we put together a three-part metaverse series, the second in which, uh, or second installment of which is the event that you're attending today. Um, so last month, we hosted a closed door roundtable with um, end users from across the United States, really looking to be a fly on the wall to understand some of the challenges and questions that they were hoping to overcome relative to those journeys um, in making investments in the metaverse. 
a lot of the insights from that panel were used to inform the content that we're going to go through today. And then we're going to cap off the series on May 17th with another lunchtime program, which will be featuring content centered around the end user perspective. So whereas today's session is going to focus on insights from the service providers who've stepped up to support those end user organizations on this journey, we'll close the series on May 17th by hearing from some of the end users themselves, um, specifically featuring some speakers from um, BCG Gamma, Epic Games, Radius AI, Space Matrix, and others. So that announcement will be coming out in the coming weeks. So look uh, to register for that event. So the format for today, um, some of the feedback that we've had in understanding what would be really helpful for the next hour is a lot of folks are just looking for a baseline introduction to the metaverse. And then more importantly, everyone kind of is, is asking the question of why should I care? So we've invited Victor Delanoy um, to give a keynote address. Uh, Victor's going to spend about 15 minutes answering those two specific questions and providing all of us with a baseline understanding of what the metaverse is. And again, more importantly, why it's relevant for all of our businesses and we really need to be paying attention to it. Then we're going to go into um, a, a panel discussion with the esteemed panelists that we brought here today. And then we're going to conclude by bringing Victor uh, back to join our panel and we'll do an open Q&A. Please feel free to ask questions in the chat uh, if you're shy, either directly to me, your moderator, uh, or just throwing them out there publicly. And I'll either try to incorporate them as we go through the panel discussion or I'll get to them um, during the formal Q&A at the end. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to introduce Victor. Uh, Victor is a principal at Boston Consulting Group, where he's worked in various leadership capacities for almost five years. He's a core member of the firm's marketing, sales, and pricing practice focused on digital marketing and e-commerce acceleration projects. Uh, but more importantly, to the context of our conversation today, he's actually a key member of BCG's Global Web3 and Metaverse Initiative, and over the past year has really quickly established himself as one of the premier experts in the space. Um, and he's actually joining us from Paris. Um, we were really excited to have him today. So Victor, I'm gonna pass things over to you uh, to give us a, a quick 101 education in the metaverse. Um, and then we'll bring it back and open things up to the panel thereafter. Thanks a lot, Laura. <clears throat> Very excited to be here today uh, to share about the metaverse. And, um, and I have 15 minutes, so I could talk for hours about that, but I have 15 minutes, so I'll try to do three things. First, introduce you to some definitions and concepts, the metaverse, NFT, Web3. Second, share with you that it's real, it's happening today. And, and third, get you to realize that you can start caring about that and, uh, and you can actually start, uh, start doing some stuff. Before we start, I would just like to get a sense of the, the maturity on the table. We are almost 100, so it would be really interesting to see with the four questions. Uh, the first question would be, do you own crypto? And I think you'll see a poll here that you can answer. We'll give you 10, 20, uh, 10, 20 seconds. Can we have a look at the result, Tian? Yep. Make sure we can share that. 
Okay, 36%. So in fact, it's a bit more than uh, we estimate that 20% of the US population owns crypto. It has been made popular by platforms like uh, Robinhood and all. So, so actually, you're, you're a bit more informed. Second question would be, do you own NFTs? And I would expect here to be slightly less. Let's give uh, 10 seconds. Okay. Indeed, yeah, 20%. So, so as expected, a little bit less because it's more complex. Uh, another question, do you own a VR headset? Okay, let's have a look. No, so 25% is quite big. We often associate metaverse with VR and we'll see that it's, uh, it's not quite there yet today. And then have you been to a metaverse? And I've cited a few. Okay. Okay, interesting. So for those who replied no to one or more questions, um, let's start by a small intro and small demo of what Metaverse could look like. In fact, there is not the Metaverse, at least not yet today. Metaverse come in various shapes and forms, and you have really gaming platforms like Roblox, Fortnite that are associated to Metaverse. Then you have VR social experiences that are really event-based, um, and we'll talk more about that, but uh, like rec rooms or VR chat. And then you have Web3 Metaverse. And I want to, to show you, for example, Decentraland in a quick uh, one minute video. So it's very much like a game. And in fact, you don't access it through VR headset, but you access it through your Chrome browser uh, and any internet uh, browser. A, a small difference here is that you don't log in with an email and password, but you log in with a digital or crypto wallet like MetaMask. And I will explain briefly what it is just after. You have an avatar that you can customize with standard outfit, head, uh, bottom, but you can also, also buy shoes or clothes for your avatar and, and bring them to the game. Once inside, you play with hundreds of other players and you can interact with them. And it's, it's, it's a very social experience. In fact, there are more messages sent on Roblox every day than on Facebook Messenger. Then it's an open world that you can visit just like you would walk around a city. Uh, for example, you can visit an art gallery, art gallery of NFTs. Uh, so you, you visit, you can check the, the, the NFT on OpenSea and sometimes purchase it or make an offer to, to, buy, to buy that wonderful all. You have some games like this poker tables uh, playing with frog croupier. In fact, you can earn real money or you really have economics in these games. And you can visit stores. This is a, a Samsung that did a replica of the Meatpacking District store inside the, inside the Central Land. You can visit, you have uh, some videos and a tiger and, uh, and you can buy things. So some of you might be thinking all this hype for this old school 2000, 2010 looking video game, is this a joke? And 
and it it may sound like a joke when you hear about some of the absurd numbers around here and absurd transactions. Like for example, a, a, a small land on this platform, Decentraland, that you just show, that you just saw, was sold for two point four million dollars, which sounds quite insane. Uh, the simplistic game design is is a reality across all these platforms. And in fact, when Gucci sells shoes on this platform, they sell it for $13. Uh, it was not VR. And why was it not VR? Because today there are only about 30 million headsets that have been sold globally. So it's not at all penetrated. And, and in fact, most people feel motion sickness when they, when they wear this headset more than 30 minutes, one hour. And I'm not even talking about the NFT craze and this, this image that was sold for $24 million. But we believe it's not, it's not a joke and it's not a joke for three reasons. First, this decentralized, in fact, reflects the broader evolution of the web and this metaverse platform. An evolution towards Web3. What is Web3? You had Web1 that was web pages that you as a standard users could go to and read the content, but not do much more. Web two, it was the rise of platforms, especially social media platforms, where users could still read the content, but they could create some content. Yet most of the value creation was captured by these platforms. In web three, you have user reading, creating, and having the ability to own because of new technologies. What are these new technologies enabling Web3? You have first digital identity. This is the famous wallet that you have. So you can interact with apps and uh, with tools thanks to a digital wallet, a public address that contains no personal information or just the information you are deciding to share. Secondary important technology behind this Web3 shift is digital ownership enabled by NFT. What is an NFT uh, in, in, in brief? It's a contract basically that is stored on a blockchain attached to one wallet. So it means that this picture that you have here of the cat, we can we can say for sure that it is that it is owned by one wallet. And so you have provable ownership of, of this cat. And they come in many shapes and forms. It unleashes this ownership, unleashes um, plenty of use cases. For example, the board APO club that Madonna, Madonna bought recently. It's not just this picture. It, this picture could also become your avatar, your profile picture. It, it gives you some access rights to a community, to events. The land that you buy on Decentraland or on Sandbox is in fact in the form of an NFT. And the, the, the buildings that you put on top could be also in the form of an NFT. So you buy this building and you can resell it. Third big concept and evolution is user-created experiences. It will become, thanks to advances in, in game engines, 3D, ARVR, it will become as easy to create a small game for any user as it is today to create a TikTok video. 
And so we believe that it will unleash creativity and will really make this platform more and more attractive. Especially metaverse platform will make it broadly available, enabling creators to earn money with their experiences and so creating a virtual circle. Finally, decentralized organization, a fundamental difference between Web2 platforms and Web3 platforms, and not all metaverse are Web3 metaverse, but Web3 platforms, is that they are decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that all big changes on the platform are voted by the community, voted by users. This drives the second reason why it's not a joke. It is shifting attention of users from social media to new platforms, uh, and especially these gamified experiences. We saw in 2020, 2021, a decrease of time spent on social media worldwide, even though time spent on screens was exploding. Where did its screen time go? It went to work platforms, of course, Zoom, like we're here today, but also on games, especially for younger generation, like plus 50% time spent for 15, 24 years old. They spent in, for example, on, on Roblox, which has, we estimate that 15% of the 10, 25 year old in the US are daily users of Roblox, spending 2.5 hours a day. And it's not just gaming, it's also concert, like the Travis Scott concert on Fortnite that, that attracted 20 million people. So we, we tested that it was not only games, but we asked the question like, would you put a VR headset and visit a virtual store where you can see products in 3D? And across all age groups, all geographies, people seem to be very interested or neutral, but interested. So these new technologies enabling you to earn back ownership and control, the shift of attention is attracting funding and talents like we've never seen before. And what's interesting is that you have the traditional funding from VC but you also have new ways of earning money, uh, like Decentraland or Sandbox. They are able to earn money also from the sale of the land underlying it. Roblox is developing a new business model, which is not advertising based, but user engagement based and fees on the, on the money and the economy being played on the platform. So with this, new paradigm, attention, money, talents, companies, of course, of all sorts are getting interested. We're talking to clients in automotive, in luxury goods, in consumer goods, in industrial goods, pharma. They are all looking at their metaverse strategy, all looking what to do. And good news, there are use cases for everyone. You have use cases of reach. Because it's where your consumers will spend more time, you, need, you, you can be there to showcase your product, to develop experiences. This is what Nike did on Roblox with Nike Land. Gucci did the showroom in Metaverse platforms. Second use case type, engagement. AR, VR, NFTs, Metaverse, offer you new ways to engage with your existing customers. So that's VR supported sales in the car dealer, 
It's metaverse entertainment, like Louis Vuitton did for their 200 years. It's community building, giving NFT that give you specific benefits. You have, of course, scores of new revenue and business models. Coachella sold these uh, keys, lifetime access pass. You can do branded NFTs on top of your physical products. You can do new games, tokenization of anything. And finally, you have use cases of product optimization, of course, like authentication, traceability, digital twins of the factory, uh, training like AWS did. So before leaving the floor to the panel, two implications for you in the corporate real estate world. First implication, in any company, you might have new types of assets to manage. It could be land. We hear almost every day or every week, this new, any company buying, acquiring some land on Decentraland, Sandbox or elsewhere. Uh, Gucci yesterday, Pernorica announced they acquired the land on Decentraland for Absolute Land to do something about Absolute Vodka. Uh, you will have to manage buildings, Sotheby, the Samsung store, these are buildings where you have to find an architect and you have to, to find things to do, you, you might want to evolve, reconstruct it. And, and third reason why, third impact, uh, with these workrooms and 3D experiences, it might also change your office strategy and office space strategy, and you might want to redeploy. Second big implication for you is that we like, any industry, we also think the real estate industry as a whole will be disrupted. You will have, of course, pure players, new business opportunities that are done purely in the metaverse, like selling metaverse parcels, land building lots, developing properties. And we've seen more and more companies like Vikrian uh, or managing metaverse facilities. But you will also see new use cases of combined offers, combining NFT or Web3 technologies with real world assets. Uh, could be property titles shifted as NFT, could be attaching a virtual replica of your office space in New York for your employees to, 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 to meet, uh, or providing metaverse experiences on site. Okay. I hope it was uh, helpful and I leave the floor to the panel now. Awesome. Thanks so much, Victor. And again, Victor will be joining us uh, for the Q&A at the end of the panel. Um, so I'm going to attempt to build on Victor's very sophisticated French accent with my Canadian accent in moderating us for the rest of the panel. Um, to kick things off, you know, Victor's talked very big picture about the metaverse um, and how that's impacting all industry. Something that I think is, is important that he covered at the very beginning is we often think about the metaverse as one finite singular uh, entity and the metaverse is actually many different metaverses. And so although we talk about it in singular and we will today for the panel, um, just bearing in mind that we're actually talking about, as Victor introduced, many different types of environments um, that, that people are congregating in in the virtual world. Um, so again, Victor started us really big. Let's get more granular and talk about commercial real estate specifically. Um, I'd love to kick things off by talking about, based on all of your experiences, um, but 
maybe I'll give us a, just a quick second, go around the horn. Um, Guy, if I can get you to kick us off introducing yourself, then we'll jump to Ram, um, and then we'll finish off with Jim before we dive into questions. Sure, thanks. Uh, I'm Guy Messick, uh, Director of Design Intelligence at IA Interior Architects. And if you know, we're a global firm focusing on interiors and commercial real estate and workplace and retail and so forth. And I'm also running the IXR studio, uh, which is, you know, a little over two years old, like when we all went home is when we all this off. So that's uh, my point of reference for extended reality in the metaverses today. Rom, I'll invite you to give your introduction and then yeah. Jim, you can bring us home. Awesome, thank you. Thanks, Laura. Great to be on the panel. Thank you all for your time and joining us today. Uh, Ram Srinivasan, I am part of our consulting team, managing director with JLL Consulting. Uh, work with clients to solve for all of the complex problems uh, thrown our way uh, it, at the intersection of uh, people, place, and technology. Uh, fair warning, I'm a technology enthusiast, have, uh, have studied at MIT, so you could not expect anything less. Look forward to today's discussion. Thank you again. And hello, I'm Jim Kessler, work with Jacobs. Uh, we have two uh, hats going. One, uh, director of the Visual Media Group, a bespoke group of developers, artists, and technologists delivering uh, visual communication solutions and strategies ranging greatly everything from simple web development to extended reality solutions. And also I'm part of the, uh, what's the Solutions and Technologies uh, Think Tank organization within the, the practice. And I'm the global technology leader for extended reality, uh, developing and delivering a broad range of solutions, including things like the metaverse we'll be discussing today. So again, thank you very much for the opportunity and look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. So first question that I'd love for us to discuss is, again, Victor kept us really, really big picture. Let's bring that into the context of corporate real estate. What are some of the immediate applications over the last six months to year that you've started to see emerge and that your clients have been coming to you to ask for support with? And Guy, I might start off with, with you. Um, CBRE has been lucky enough to partner with IA for our headquarter project that I mentioned. Um, so personally, I, I know that we've uh, benefited already from some of the insights that you brought would love to hear like cbre what are some of the applications that other clients have been picking your brain to help support um, in their initial foot forays into the metaverse that's a great question i think part of this is is working with our clients on the possibilities this is still very new thinking right so we start with discussing possibilities just like you do in architecture right you know you look for the problem to solve you help solve it and then we start seeing the the different segment. So first off, it's augmenting uh, space. As you know, with your space, we took that space and put it up 400 feet in the air and did a lot of different work with it to augment meeting and collaboration. Second is people are looking for experiences for their customers, both for workplace as then retail is an obvious outgrowth there, um, getting into customer experience and, and brand loyalties and things like that. And there was seeing a whole entirely new thing that came up that I wish I could tell you I predicted, but I didn't. That's mixed reality for on the ground staffing employees and everything from banking retail to other spots where we take tech that was in the industrial world and bring it into mixed reality into a more focused environment just to help people get things done in a more uh, human way. Sounds weird. I know technology to be more human, but it <laughs> kind of works that way. I think great, great points, uh, Guy. And just to just to add in terms of what we are hearing from from our clients on metaverse applications, uh, some of the questions we are getting are 
Uh, like you mentioned, customer-facing applic applications, we've, we've all seen in the press, uh, the likes of JP Morgan, HSBC doing a lot of exploration there, JP Morgan doing some retail exploration. Uh, there's also questions around workforce, talent, employee experience applications. Uh, we've had clients exploring some things like global town halls. You could do a 15,000 person town hall in, in the metaverse, for example. Uh, we've had uh, a number of companies exploring recruitment, onboarding training in the metaverse. Uh, Accenture's done this uh, over several years uh, through their end floor, infinite floor. Uh, Amazon recently launched a, a cloud-based AWS training game. So there's a lot of application there. Uh, there's also uh, thoughts around inclusivity in the workplace. So for example, can metaverse applications make uh, workplace environments more accessible, bring more workplace equity? Uh, support neurodiverse talent, these kind of things. So, tremendous interest, curiosity on this topic. And to kind of tag on to what uh, both Ram and Guy have talked about, uh, there's a, a lot of the clients are coming to us with just the question, the question of what is it and how can we, how is it going to impact our business and our constituents and our community members moving forward? And so again, we're doing a lot of this definitional kind of uh, helping them understand these impacts and have a dialogue where I, like we're having today. Uh, also kind of informing them about the individual discrete solutions that we're already providing that give an inkling to what that would be. That's uh, immersive design review and collaboration, uh, things like the wild. Uh, also, uh, we branded uh, what's called VES, virtual engagement solutions for community involvement. So again, immersive screen-based virtual reality type of experiences that all a lot came to bear because of the pandemic. And then also, what does the workplace look like in the future? And we, we understand that these technologies are going to be seminal in that experience and to bring and collaborate in the future in a much more immersive, connected environment. So I kind of teed you guys up with a, a very finite question of what are you seeing? Maybe to broaden the aperture of that, what haven't you been asked for yet, but that you believe is going to be an emerging trend or a way in which we start to see an evolution or better utilization and maximizing of the metaverse's capabilities within the corporate real estate context. Um, so maybe just broadening that question. Um, are there things that you're not yet being asked for by your clients, but that you're starting to anticipate as firms? I, I think there's a there's a lot there, Laura, and I think Guy alluded to this, right? So a lot of applications in the metaverse are limited only by the imagination. And right now it's early stage of exploration, this technology and the platforms are emerging. And as they reach uh, greater maturation and converge, you will have greater exploration. As you have more creativity come into the metaverse, you'll have more exploration happening. So uh, just a couple of examples. You don't have to be limited by the laws of physics in the metaverse. So why have regular office space where you could, you could fly and you don't need to walk? So how can you think about experiences in the metaverse environment where you're not limited by the realities of your office. Or for example, you know, we in the real estate industry will talk about uh, HVAC and air quality. Imagine showing your employees the path of an air molecule from the perspective of the air molecule as it travels through your HVAC system in your digital twin office. This is a whole different realm. It's an expansion of the aperture that we have had. It's an inspection, it's an intersection of many worlds. It's a virtual reality and as Accenture calls it, real virtualities as well as mixed reality XR environment. So um, it's one way to think about uh, the metaverse as being tomorrow's internet and the possibilities are limitless. 
we're seeing clients, um, you know, working with us through through these design problems, and and initially, they want their branded space with their materiality and their their corporate culture, but you can go pretty far. And what we've discovered is that good design still applies. So we're going to wait and see, like Ron, for example, how far do people want to go? Right now, there's comfort levels. And uh, I do have to disagree with Victor a little bit on the number of people who are just uncomfortable in modern headsets. I think the, the standalone headsets are, have been proven to be pretty reliable and comfort level. But, you know, what does it mean to then explore a space and go beyond? I think we're going to be seeing this with current clients, including CB. And, and what could that mean? I think there's a lot of places that haven't been directed yet. And that's to a DE&I corporate responsibility. How do we start tying this into carbon footprints and um, retention and of talent and attraction of talent. And I think there's a lot of possibilities. When you start talking about workplaces available anywhere, that's a huge conversation. And now the tech is beginning to back that up. Let's dig into that a little bit more because both you and Ram have touched on that. The metaverse, you know, love it or hate it. I mean, it, it's there's two sides of the argument of whether it dehumanizes the experience or it can actually help to bring greater connectivity. And, and Ram, you talked about accessibility and starting to accommodate um, the, the fact that people are displaced, but also people have different accessibility challenges and the metaverse may help us to overcome those. And then Guy, you touched on um, improving upon workplace experience. What are the human factors um, that you're, you're seeing kind of reoccurringly or that you think are going to be the most significant plays in the investment or I guess justifying the investment that companies are making in the metaverse? So specifically, how do we expect that this will help to improve employee experience? I, I, I can go, go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. Yeah, thank, thank you, Guy. Um, I, I think what the biggest area here is around uh, teamwork and collaboration. And I think that's a huge area where the metaverse can help bring uh, greater human centricity. We've been kind of trapped behind our computer screens, and this allows you to explore a little bit more. Uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing a lot of uh, exploration in this space. Um, you know, your your digital avatar, for example, can pop in and out of offices, inside inside and outside of meeting rooms. You can walk up to virtual help desks. You can provide, um, you know, relaxation to your people through networking lounges. You can have live presentation from dioceses. You know, think about your onboarding experience. Uh, likely all of us were given a PDF document when we entered our companies. Uh, we typically lose concentration in 10 minutes. Instead, Think about walking through a 3D, 4D experience, uh, hallway, gallery, uh, multiple interactive stands. You could interact with people, bump in, have experiences there, uh, create connection right away. And I think that's where some of the applications stand. Uh, share some examples. A company called Unique, a technology platform that creates digital humans. So they're doing some very interesting stuff uh, just to share with the folks on the panel. So for example, they have uh, Nola, which is a digital shop, uh, shopping assistant concierge. Uh, they have Daniel, which is a digital double of a UBS chief economist, can meet multiple clients at the same time. So in a way, it helps you provide more personalized experience to your clientele as well. So faster learning, new ways to work, new ways to learn, new ways to play. And just to tag on that a bit uh, from what Ram just mentioned is that we have things like Epic Games, uh, MetaHuman, and they're rolling that out right now. So the idea of an avatar, and I kind of jumped a couple questions ahead, but the idea of an avatar based and a common platform that that can feed across on all the metaverses so that there's a commonality to it. So you can have that experience, whether it be in a work environment or a community environment or whatever else 
uh, you're engaging with that you you have that kind of commonality and, and comfort level with who you are in the metaverse. So I think that's that we're just at the tip of that. And what does that look like? And how do we impl implement that? And that, that can be a commonality of experience too. So uh, a lot of backend uh, infrastructure to support the metaverse as, as, as it will exist. So another, I think, popular topic right now in the industry, which has huge implications in the metaverse, um, is ESG. Again, a very polarized topic. On the one hand, there's a lot of concern around the prevalence of uh, cryptocurrency in fueling the metaverse and cryptocurrency obviously not being um, a terribly sustainability friendly. Um, on the other side, um, the fact that it will allow for less travel and so obviously fewer carbon emissions. And then kind of the buttressing macro um, discussion of are we directing important resources towards building this fake world as opposed to uh, directing those resources to, to helping us improve life on this planet. Would love to hear your perspectives, um, either direction on that spectrum of how the metaverse, again, within the context of corporate real estate, is really going to play a meaningful role in moving the ESG needle. I think with the, the ESG needle, I'm, I'm going to lump in a little DE and I in there also, or, you know, how are we, you know, how are companies and clients focusing on their responsibilities with, with their people? And what that means. And if we look at a, a reality of a fairly significant percentage of people are not going to want to commute in every day. But that doesn't mean less real estate. It means different kinds of real estate. So that can be carbon footprint. It can be health and welfare. It can be mobility, you know, working with people no matter where they are. Um, but I think on the other side of responsibility, we're starting to interact with HR departments on codes of conduct in virtual space. Like, how does that work in another space? And it seems controllable and everyone wants their stuff behind their own firewall. That helps. It's not an open public forum. Uh, but all those things you think about in real space are now connecting over into once you virtualize a space and staff are in there. Okay, now we start having those human discussions about what does that mean? But we haven't heard anyone say this is detracting or taking away from our portfolio. It's adding to it. And what is that going to mean on the on the corporate responsibility side? I think we're just discovering now. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with uh, Guy and uh, Laura. Your your kind of your question sums up why this calculus is not as simple as it seems. So you have the reduced commute uh, and cars uh, pollution, but there's also air travel, and air travel is a significant contributor to overall ESG and emissions and so on and so forth. So. Uh, there's potential there to reduce uh, the trade off with physical office space, like you said. Uh, on, on the flip side, the technologies are power hungry so uh, and energy hungry. So how will they uh, how will they source some of that energy and what happens with that? And a lot of technology companies have outlined uh, plans to be energy free or even carbon negative. So I think these are trends to watch. Uh, this, calculus, this calculus is not as simple as it may seem. Just to add a bit onto that, again, thinking about how these environments will be have an opportunity to be built upon a foundation and an architecture that will can be inclusive. It can be equitable across the board because we're defining it in a current period. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. We are looking for sustainability opportunities across many of our businesses within Jacobs and just like uh, Guy mentioned, these these ideas of the performance of the environment of the built environment is key and can be driven 
And as Ram mentioned, experience from a scalar opportunity across the board. Again, it has as a, as a unique opportunity to inform. And as we inform and teach, that brings that brings more of that the ESG principles to bear and, and creates great offerings and new opportunities. So I'll push back a little bit, like, and I get that that's a hard question, but it, it sounds like we haven't really, we don't really have an answer yet. And so I guess my, my follow-up question is, are your clients really pushing you for the need to come up with tools to help quantify that? Or are they sort of like you where they're really feeling it out and a little bit more relaxed right now and understanding whether, whether it's going to have an ESG impact? I think we're still connecting with multiple groups within our clients' organizations. These are large organizations at times. So sometimes we come in through the CRE door, sometimes through more facilities or data sciences side, Laura. And uh, we're very fortunate that people are saying, wait, we should connect others to this. And so we've just, just in the last week started talking about a um, more higher level corporate side of things. I'm trying to, you know, CEOs and CFOs now, whereas before it was more, you know, people that are driving workplace. I think it's evolving. I think it's fair to say, I'll be conservative and say weekly. <laughs> that's, that's the change that's happening. Uh, and it's still very um, pilot oriented now, working with like the lab groups with the large clients or with uh, expanding workplace that everyone knows. So they can see, oh, I recognize that it's just a little different now. Um, but, you know, connecting it up with the uh, CPOs, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Right. So I have two final questions before we um, open it up to formal Q&A. These are maybe looking a little bit more to the future. Um, the first is, what's next for the metaverse and, and what aren't people thinking about? So previously I asked you, um, you know, what are some of the ways in which you think that this is going to impact our industry that people haven't asked you? I'm broadening the aperture. What are ways on a macro level that, the, that you foresee the metaverse being very, very impactful and that you're not necessarily seeing written about in the New York Times or talked about in other podcasts that should be top of mind for this group? Just a little hot potato. <laughs> Who's going to take that guy? Okay, I'll jump in. Um, Thank you, Guy. Getting back to, you know, Jim was talking about, and this is, um, you know, we've been using VR for design for many, many years, uh, and it just wasn't great early on. It was important, but the equipment and the hardware, etc. I think within the business, uh, the idea of virtualizing strategies, design, change management towards the built environment. Right. This is what are the steps and the coordination you can do to improve the experience and the value and the economy of building space, real space. Um, that's coming back online, finally, thankfully. And uh, I think that interaction between you know, stakeholders, end users, designers, engineers, contractors, everybody through the food chain inhabiting these spaces well before they're, they're built is going to be um, pretty normal very soon. I think that's a big one people are quite catching up to. We're, we're focused a lot on, on metaverses, but I think that that's a big one. But also there's going to be how much stake do individuals get in, in a metaverse in the creation and their intellectual property and content. So we're studying what is that going to mean uh, at the value beyond um, you know, tokenization and the, the great stuff Victor was talking about, but what about the empowerment of the, the client, the individuals? What's that going to mean uh, in your ownership, if you will, of what you're contributing? Like those are two big factors that are coming 
sooner than later. I would agree. I would agree with Guy. I think the this is uh, I'm linking back to our ESG conversation there. Um, it's, it's actually amazing that we are having the conversation about the metaverse in the light that we are having it. And it's a reflection of the times that we live in. I think there's a uh, there's an evolution of uh, humanity's consciousness in a way. And we are having this con conversation in the context of how can we benefit the maximum number of people in the right way? How can we, how can we uh, think such that our profitability is not in conflict with uh, the planet? And I think that's, a, that's an incredible way to think about this. And um, I think Victor referenced this in his conversation as well. And you see this movement towards uh, more decentralized autonomous organizations putting more power into individuals and creators' hands. It's a different way of thinking about uh, the economy, a different way of thinking about relationships between businesses. So th this is a whole different revolution that we need to consider. And uh, it's time for leaders to kind of uh, uh, catch a glimpse of this, experiment with it, see where it goes, and learn from it. Jim, I don't know if you still wanted to jump in. I, I think you and Ram jumped in at the same time. It's, it's good. Ram covered points okay. I was going to make. <laughs> All right. Then my last question is, you know, when we think about any new major innovation um, and new creation of an industry has secondary industries that crop up to support it. And Ram, I loved um, a comment you made earlier and in a previous conversation that you and I had, you referenced um, Inception where the game designer, as soon as she realizes that she's not bound by the, the kind of rules of reality, it just sparks her creativity. And, and you, you sort of tied that in with an earlier comment around removing traditional either architectural obstacles or just obstacles to the, the physical world, which don't exist in the metaverse. And so kind of on that lens, would love your thoughts um, as my closing question on what are some of the secondary industries that you foresee cropping up to support support this emerging and growing space? I think one, uh, one interesting way to think about this, uh, Laura, would be as uh, intersection or overlapping industries. And uh, I would even broaden that a little bit to say uh, overlapping competencies. So I referenced uh, Amazon creating a AWS uh, training game, AWS Cloud Quest. And it's a role-playing game where you can help people build cloud computing skills. Uh, essentially, users navigate a virtual city and they help the virtual citizens solve IT issues on the cloud. And they earn points for completing simulation and puzzles. So if you think about creating something like this, it's not a programmer alone who does this, or it's not a UX developer alone who does this. You need this convergence of skill sets across uh, computing, programming, gaming, UX, UI, content development, the whole spectrum. And I think as we have more of these spectrums explore the metaverse, you will have uh, greater creativity come out of it, and there'll be exponential value for all of us. And, and to, to go on with that kind of same topic is, again, my group, we hire game developers now almost exclusively. So you think about where one of the world's largest engineering solutions provider, and where I we're hiring game architects and game developers because of we're thinking about what that means, those experiences are, and then combining that with the expertise throughout the different fields, and then bringing thought to bear creatively about how we do that. And kind of going back to that kind of one-to-one -one relationship, we think about all of the history of human computer interface. We always start with the most literal interpretation, right? I go back to CAD 
you think about CAD initially, you drew a line and you crossed it and you trimmed it off. You think that's such a parallel to the paper environment. And it took that couple steps to get people to really start to think about what the, how you leverage that true environment. And I think that, again, that's a, we're, we're headed there. I think there's some commonality. You start at the ground floor and you get people uh, into that environment. And then as more people are engaged in that environment, more ideas will come to, come to, come to the forefront. And that's where, again, going back to adaptive quick, quickness in, in development, all of a sudden tomorrow we could be stepped upon something like, wow, we, oh, that, that's it. There's it. We need to run with that. I think I'll, let me just finish up here. There were some comments about security and cybersecurity, super important. And uh, right now, in fact, it, it's holding back some of the tech because we want to make sure it's secure. I think a secondary industry is going to be consultancies we think of in the in the real space, but in the virtual space. That's security consultants for sure that can directly influence the game developers and the programming, as well as AV. What is AV like? Because we're entering cyberspace and we're seeing visuals and screens. Uh, in that sense. So I'm seeing a, a level of expertise, just like we team up on large real projects, we'll be forming teams to create uh, amazing virtual experiences. All right, great. Um, so I wove in some of the questions uh, that, that folks messaged me privately, but two outstanding questions that came through on the chat during, and feel free as well if you haven't asked a question yet, but you'd like to ask a question um, to drop it in the chat now. One of them, and I, I don't know if it's a good question for this audience, we'll see if you have a perspective on it. And otherwise, I'm going to make sure that we ask it on the May 17th event. But the question was, how would a facilities manager begin to train on managing a metaverse facility in comparison to a physical facility? I think that's a really interesting question. And maybe to expand on that, like what are the considerations, not just how to train on managing, but what are the considerations to maintaining a metaverse facility as opposed to just a physical facility? I'll Anything? jump in because we're kind of managing those right now for clients. Um, for the, the managing and the training and the onboarding, you need specialists. That's what we found. We have a staff of amazing folks that, that do that. They onboard people, they work with them to make sure they're comfortable. That's a super high value. You know, letting people figure it out themselves is simply not an option, nor should it be. Sometimes we do that on day one, a new office space. Like here's your PDF, as Ram said, here's your plan. Here's where you're working, go get them. Not, not quite efficient. And then on the maintenance of it, then you're getting more into that interface back to the, the, the group that needs to drive those decisions and you need the tech to make those changes. So again, it's an ecosystem about the human aspect, the HR, the, the people, and then there's maintaining, updating and taking analytics, for example, some we're beginning to do on how is the space being used virtually? So you can then maybe make some changes based on, on real patterns, like we do with sensors in the real space, just doing it in the, in the virtual space. Anyone else before I move on to the next one? Ram, Jim, Victor, anyone else have an opinion on this? I, I think it's a great response by Guy. And I, it's, I, I wouldn't look at this as, um, the, do you translate your um, physical space facilities management skill set to uh, metaverse and are they portable? Yes, some of those skill sets are portable, but you also need to bring in new skill sets. So it's, a, it's an evolution. It's a widening of the aperture and you will bring more more skill sets to solve for some of these problems. 
And just to add to that, again, it's, it's the idea of broadening that experience. We just talked about this kind of one-to-one. It's not a one-to-one, it's a one-to-many. And then what does that look like? And what are, what are those opportunities that we're not even discussing today? We're thinking about IoT sensors. I agree with a guy about POE, uh, post-occupancy evaluation. You think about real-time pathway analysis of users in your space to better identify how that's used. What is the, what is the, the metaverse version of that? I think it's broadening more technical capability to the staff, more at leveraging of existing data sets, things that may not have been achievable before because of the nature of where it's set or what format it's in. Now you have this great environment where they're the commonality, the ability to tie things together uh, can, can really take a powerful place. All right. Next question is, and actually this wasn't a question, but I thought it was a really thought-provoking comment, um, which deserves to be addressed by Georgia's dad, Paul, um, who's been super active on chat. So Paul mentioned there isn't today equity between the physical and virtual worlds, just movement from one to the other, and they exist independent of each other until the physical no longer exists, which is a really creepy thought. Maybe Paul uh, has been watching too much sci-fi, or at least I hope. Um, I hope we always have a physical world. My question to the panel in addressing that is, how today are we, or, or do you foresee maybe in the future that we're going to bridge that where there is more seamless um, kind of participation between worlds? And Guy, you sort of touched on this with the fact that an investment in the metaverse doesn't necessarily mean less real estate. It means an extension of real estate. But I think maybe in a, a very operational context, where how do we see this evolving such that it isn't necessarily um, troubled with the barriers to entry that we, we see today, which do create that fracture? I'm going to go back to design because that's I'm an old architect. Uh, but we're we're currently it's sort of mixing the two things, Laura, but you know, looking at how does design change to accommodate and make it more seamless. So we're entering into a pilot, a meeting with these folks today in San Francisco about designing in virtual space what may be designed in real space as part of the portfolio. So what they're finding is with different populations during a week, different people, are, some are remote, some are in, in office, how does that free up space? And what does that space look like to become a, a room to use as a VR or a mixed reality space? So we're gonna begin design charrettes today, start looking at what that means, building that in there based on what we know today and you know, future-proofing is a, diff a different, difficult word, we say, but um, you know, how does that work? I think mixed reality where you can see virtual holographic if you will, versions of people from wherever they are in office together. There's been some movement on that. We're working uh, with folks at Microsoft about some of that through the Mesh platform as well. I think that'll be coming soon also, but right now we're going to try and look at space uh, for you know extended reality and virtual reality interaction in your space with anyone else in their location, whether remote or in other offices, Paris to New York, San Francisco to Toronto, wherever it might be. So, you know, design isn't always the answer, but Often, <laughs> it does. I think there is a complete redefinition of the text tags and the access tags that we know today. Uh, we are used to having these big platforms that you have the Android and Apple that you access for your phone or your browser. And there are new technologies, the VR headsets, but not only uh, in-car experience. So it will be much easier to log in or to access some of your properties outside. So 
you might see some of the barriers between virtual world and physical world disappear. Yeah, I'll just add that, um, you know, if we think of this as stages, we are presently in this uh, emerging phase. Um, as you go forward, you'll have more advanced applications and eventually you'll get to a stage where this is mature. And maturity from, from the perspective of uh, the metaverse and Laura, you began our conversation today on this topic. So we've come full circle. Um, metaverse is not a singular element. So you have many virtual worlds. Is there interoperability between those worlds right now? Uh, each of those applications have slightly different different interfaces, different ways of connecting, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So how do you bring those together and how do you make them interoperable? So that's probably stage one. And then what Paul's referencing is probably stage beyond that, which is where you cannot distinguish between physical and virtual reality. And that's a whole different, uh, whole different area of exploration. We perhaps need a one-hour conversation on that. I'll say one thing that um, I, I go with what we uh, work with on our clients, and there's been a very consistent statement in that people are preferring virtual meetings and metaverses with a few different platforms and avatars to Zoom meetings. And I couldn't have predicted that. I thought, when are we going to get there? How do we work hard to get there? And we're, we're seeing that more and more. We're getting direct statements like this is things like this is the most fun we've had since we all went home two years ago. That blew my mind that people felt that immediately passionate, strong about it. So I think we're on the right track and uh, it's people's responses and, and direct human feelings that are, that are helping me listen and uh, help direct this. But I think it's, it's the right direction. Well, and not to overly simplify the conversation, but for, for anyone with kids, you needn't look any further than your living room with the communities that they've built online with their, their gaming friends. And I think we're, we're really just on the cusp of starting to see that migrate into the workplace. Um, so unfortunately that brings us to the top of the hour. This has been actually really fun. So thank you all for that. And thank you to everyone that attended. Great um, engagement on chat, which kept this really fun as well. Um, and really awesome questions. So again, if you liked this topic and you're curious to see it from the end user perspective, join us on May 17th. Um, and I'll just close out by thanking Guy, Ram, Jim, and Victor. You are all excellent. And really, I learned a lot through this process as well. Um, so I, I just want to thank you all for your time. Very Thank welcome. You. All right. Thank Thanks you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.